Find your Bible, open it to the book of Acts chapter 1. We're continuing our series on the church that we began some weeks ago. A sermon I've entitled, The Critical Nature of Making Decisions. You know, I think we'd all be quick to agree that part of the vital part of all of our lives is how you and I render the decisions we make. And first off, as we well know, decisions all are not equal. I mean, some are as simple as this, uh, where we're going to lunch or where we might be going to dinner. And uh, we've kind of worked that out in, in my home. Mary just defaults to me about where I want to, to go eat. And so I have that say-so. That is, unless she wants to go somewhere else, and then I don't have that say-so. And some of you know what I'm talking about. But uh, other decisions are more significant. They're life-altering things. They're job relocation, a vocational choice, uh, maybe relative who a person marries, or a major purchase, buying a house, and certainly notwithstanding joining a particular church. Most of us would agree Decisions like that, significant decisions, are not easy. Sometimes we don't have enough information. Sometimes we have too much information. And oftentimes we find ourselves in a dilemma. I've learned this. Most people make decisions on their own intuition. They just follow their gut feeling. And uh, while others, maybe a fewer group will be a little more analytical and they'll evaluate the outcomes and the pros and cons and and, and, and just go and, and, just, and, and really just worry over these decisions and trying to analyze everything. And, uh, and, and, and I'm speaking to you engineers who are here today. I mean, I'm just, I'm just specifically talking to you about that. Sometimes we get uh, really stymied by a little bit of paralysis of analysis. We got so infor much information, we really don't know what to do. Anyhow, we find the early church in a decision-making quandary in Acts chapter 1, and we read that after Jesus sends back to heaven, the disciples return to Jerusalem just as he had told them, and we find them here in chapter 1 in the place of prayer in the upper room. We find the 11 along with those who supported the ministry of Jesus, plus Jesus' brothers uh, who had not believed in him, as you well know, until after the resurrection. And then we find Mary, his mother, there as well in this praying uh, a group. But I, there is something noteworthy that I want to mention in passing there. Uh, while they were praying with Mary, they weren't praying to Mary. <laughs> you see, she was favored by God, but certainly she has not become the co-redemptress as now has been uh, oftentimes uh, seen and, 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 and used by the Roman Catholic Church. But she was at this prayer meeting along with the eleven and also with those women who supported the ministry of Jesus. So here they are. They've got a decision collectively that they would need to make together. You know, I do believe that we learn some valuable insight on how we can follow the biblical model of decision-making in our life. And really, honestly, is there anything more needful in our lives and how we make right and prudent decisions? It's decisions, really, that eventually take us to the destiny of our lives. What we're going to do, where we're going to go, are we going to do the right thing? Are we going to default to uh, just living our life uh, apart from God? Are we going to choose to, to follow Him? And what is His will in, if we decide to follow Him? So decision-making really is essentially the mental process that results 
in our course of action. So I want you to pick up reading with me. Stand in honor of reading God's Word first. And we're going to look, beginning in verse 15, and you'll find uh, the text there on the screen. You follow along in your, your Bible or your device as I read this text. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names were about 120. And said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before uh, by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out, all of his guts you don't know what entrails are there, gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language Akadama, which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out, in and out, among us, beginning from the baptism of John, in that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, and one who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, you know the hearts of all, Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, which from Judas by transgression fell, and that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Father in heaven, we pray that today as we speak from this text of Scripture that you've preserved through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit of God, for the edification of God's people, I pray now would be edifying and direct us, help us to, to lean on you, depend upon you, O oh God, to guide our lives. Help us to be people who are quick to decide to go your way. And I pray now you'd fill me with your spirit. Speak through me today to those that are here. We pray a special blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. You'll find uh, in your worship bulletin there's an outline, uh, a chance for you to fill in the blanks. I hope that you've begun to do that over these months since I've been preaching because um, I, I want to make it easy for you to comprehend. I get you engaged a little bit writing down the outline. Hopefully, it'll be of benefit to you uh, when you leave and can reflect upon these things. And plus, uh, you'll notice they're uh, alliterated. So I know some of you like to guess the next thing that's going to be said by what I just said. So I'm trying to entertain some of you who are need entertaining, I guess. The first thing let's talk about, obviously, in this text is the dilemma. The dilemma. So we see in the context of this prayer meeting, as the apostles were united in prayer, there was a problem that they needed to address. A decision would have to be made. And so here's what happened. First, we see under A what I'm calling the voice of the leader. 
Now we can only speculate why the Apostle Peter brought this dilemma up. Perhaps he had been reading his Bible. Perhaps he had uh, his scrolls and, and parchments and he was reflecting upon uh, 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 what the Word of God had to say. Maybe it was different than that. Maybe he was thinking about a conversation that prior that he had had with Jesus himself. Perhaps they'd been discussing this matter. But the text simply says that Simon Peter stood up and addressed the 120 who were the core group of the New Testament church and uh, that was about to be launched in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. But here's what I want you to see with me. Peter was the leader. He was the one, the first mentioned, as we talked about, in the inner circle. Uh, he had been the leader even of the, the, the apostles, uh, even in the inner circle. The first one mentioned, as we talked about the promise of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 16. It was Peter who made that great confession at Caesarea Philippi. As he declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you're right. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So I think we could all agree if there is a leader among these apostles, surely it was Peter. And in the book of Acts, we find 18 addresses made. And seven of those by the apostle Peter. Later in the book of Acts, of course, after Paul is converted in Acts chapter 9, we have also seven addresses made by him. But certainly early on, we see the leadership of Peter and uh, so we know him here acting courageously and compellingly, leading the apostles and leading the early church. Now we know his, his history, and, and oftentimes we label him as a little bit capricious or impulsive. Uh, we single him out as the one who denied Jesus. Indeed, he did. But truth of the matter, all the apostles did uh, the night uh, of the trials and the cru- before the crucifixion. But Peter does stand alone as the key leader. He would soon be the Pentecostal preacher in Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 would be saved and the New Testament church would begin. Here's what I'm telling you. Every church needs a leader. Every church needs a lead pastor. Every church needs a senior pastor. Not that he is indeed superior to anybody else, but he is the leader among equals. And we're praying ongoingly for the search committee that God would send the right leader for this church one who would come and cast a vision and we could follow into a new day and a new way as this church seeks to do what God would have them do. We look at the voice of the leader. This is what's going on here. But secondly, I want to talk about the vacancy from the loss because Peter brings up the dilemma and it's relative to Judas. He mentions his plight. He had purchased a field with the 30 pieces of silver that he had received when he sold out Jesus there Uh, We see it culminating in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we need to reconcile with what Luke has recorded here with what we read in Matthew 27 when it says of Judas that in his remorse he takes these 30 pieces of silver and he uh, throws them at the chief priests in the temple and then he proceeds to go out and hang himself. So obviously Judas himself didn't purchase this field But the blood money uh, that he threw at the chief priests were used to purchase a field that we read was called Akeldama, which is Aramaic for for potter's field. 
And so there was this field that was uh, really between the valley of Hinnon and the valley of uh, the Kidron Valley. And it seemed to be a field that was good for making pottery. And so it was called the potter's field. Then it says here nothing about Judas hanging himself. It simply says he fell headlong, bursting open, and his entrails or his guts, as I said, fell out. Again, the logical conclusion is that Judas surely must have hung himself on a tree that was extended over some kind of cliff or precipice. And when the weight of his body caused the limb to break, he fell out and uh, from that and had this gruesome kind of death on the rocks or something, a fitting end, I suppose, to the son of perdition. Proving once again that the wages of sin is death. But anyhow, these are two different accounts, but that is the reconciliation of what's going on there. But here's what I want you to see with me. The decision they made began really with a dilemma. What were they going to do? What should they do? Isn't that where many of you are living today? Decisions that are ever before you. What you're going to choose to do. The dilemma you find yourself. And sometimes we find ourselves in spiritual uncertainty. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you haven't been all that God expects for you to be. Maybe he, he's been trying to lead you, but you've been indifferent to his hand to you. Could it be because you haven't given him your heart, your life, your all? Could it be that you haven't consulted the Lord on the decisions that are ever before you? David used this verse just a moment ago because we've got to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and then lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways, if we'll acknowledge Him, it's then, it's then He will direct our paths. So this was the dilemma. Now let's talk secondly about what I'm calling the deliberation. You see, in the decision-making process, we move from simply the dilemma stage now as we begin to consider what are the options. We gather data. Maybe we list the pros and cons. We consider the alternatives. We try to gain beneficial information to help in the process. But we see them under A, going to the scriptural passage. We see the convictions here. These believers, as Peter goes to the scripture, he quotes in verse 20, Psalm 69 and Psalms 109. And Judas' betrayal actually is prophesied in Psalms 55. So here Peter is using the most reliable, the most dependable, the most compelling truth, and it's the Word of God to assure that the people, with what ha- to the people, what happened with Judas was indeed was uh, the, that needed to happen in finding a replacement for him. And he's simply saying this, according to the scripture, this is God's divine plan. How did they know it? Because God's word told it. It gave them confidence and assurance that what was about to happen was really a part of God's master plan in all of this this great passion week, the fulfillment of what Jesus Christ had done. So God's will is not subjective if you and I will first go to the Word of God, and that becomes our guidestone. Sometimes uh, we find ourselves exactly how to apply it. I get that. And sometimes it is a challenge. I remember not too long ago I read a book by Greg Mott, who's the pastor of First Baptist Church of, uh, of Houston, and it's entitled Finding God's Will. And if, if you're wrestling with something that is not addressed in the Bible, maybe you would do well 
to, to read that book. I would encourage you to do so. But here's the basis for the book is this. Any decision of God begins with God. You understand what he's saying? Not you. So if you want God's will to be done in your life, the decision does begin with God. And that's what happened here. They looked at God's word. They took a scriptural passage. Secondly, we see a satisfactory proposal in verses 21 and 22. Peter initiates his selection process. He lists, lists two requirements for the successor of Judas. What does he say? One relative to this person had to be involved in the ministry of Jesus. And he brings up the, 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 certainly the baptism by John to the Lord Jesus, who began his three and a half years of ministry. And they needed to be a part of that. They, they saw the ministry of Jesus. They had heard him. They had had an experience with him. But also, he says, here's the other caveat, that they also have seen the miracle of Jesus, not just been involved in the ministry, but they've had a personal experience with the resurrected Christ. Listen, the central theme of the apostles, the central theme of the church today is preaching Jesus Christ crucified and risen again, the resurrection. And so all the apostles had to have an experience with the resurrected Christ. And I'm telling you, for you to go to heaven, you've got to have an experience with the resurrected Christ. You see, it's through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And suddenly these 120 believers that are mentioned, they, 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 they get it down to about two possibilities. And this is the proposal. So we talk down under C now, what I'm calling the selection of the position. So they've got two names. One was Joseph, called Barsabbas, and Justice. The man had three names, I guess. But anyhow, they have him, and then they've got one named Matthias. Well, it didn't take long, if you do a study of God's Word, to tell you how much we know about these two possibilities, these candidates. And I'm telling you, we know nothing. Except their name. We don't have any further history about perhaps what they've done or uh, uh, how it worked out uh, with Matthias. We'll just assume since it was God's will, it worked out in perfection. But this is where oftentimes decisions get stalemated. Both choices have merit. The pros and cons give us no clear choice. And so sometimes we just sit in a quandary, and really don't know what to do. Can I, can, let me just share this in passing. I, I think one, sometimes the weakness of leaders is indecisiveness. And I know we need to be prayerful and considerate about every decision that we make relative to the church. But I'm telling you, when somebody just can't pull the trigger on anything, pretty soon the church finds themselves going nowhere. It, 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 we, we have to decide. Well, God had a man and God had a plan, and certainly they discerned it here, but both choices seem to be to fit the criteria. One noteworthy matter here, there seemed to be a consensus among the 11 that this was right, this was logical, and so we see one of the factors that cannot be overlooked in the decision-making process is the need for objectivity, godly input, and then collective wisdom from other godly people. That's what the Bible teaches us. Proverbs eleven fourteen. 14. Without guidance, 
people fall. But with where there are many counselors, there's deliverance. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail when there's no counsel, but when there's many advisors, they succeed. So no doubt, we need to lean on godly counsel. People who will speak from their experience. People that can, can, can give input because of their spiritual maturity and the wisdom that comes from God in their own life. Now, let, let me tell you, this is where I'm living I, I, I talked to five pastors this week who were dealing with dilemmas or situations in their church that were, was asking my advice. One, I'm honored that they would, they would call and, and ask these things. But I understand. I, listen, praise God, I had good mentors in my life, people I could defer to and people I could uh, wrestle with an issue with and, and, and get some help on how to proceed. And I'm glad to have a little input. And I think it's always a good decision to be able to lean on someone who has walked before us and prove themselves worthy of speaking into our life. I'm grateful to God. I hope you've got some spiritual people in your life that can say and be honest with you and speak uh, things to you that will move you forward in doing what's right. Let me move quickly. I'm about to quit. We see the dilemma. We see the deliberation. And now let's talk about the decision. Finally, we've got to make a decision, don't we? Now the solution was in motion. The goal resolving this dilemma had been defined. The possibilities had been considered. The candidates had been selected. So now it was time to take the action. The decision had to be made. Three things I want you to notice with me about their decision. This will work in your life. In your quandary over your own decisions... This is needful. First, it begins with prayer. Prayer under A. We read in verses 12 and 14, they were in the upper room, and there was a prayer meeting going on. We, we read how the disciples had come together. The brothers of Jesus were there. The women who had supported the ministry were there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, were there. I'm telling you, they were praying about these things. This was a praying bunch of people. And we read that they were united we read in Acts chapter 2, they were united in one accord before Pentecost would come. Why were they united? Because they all were praying together. Look what it says in verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two that you have chosen. It wasn't about their favorites. Lord, we want to know who you have chosen. Show us the one you've already chosen. Oh, let me tell you, they knew what we all know. God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knew from the beginning that Judas was going to be a traitor. He's the one who orchestrated it. And now when all the hearts are gathered together here, they say with one accord, Lord, just show us what you want. And we're willing to do it. So we see the prayer. Under B, we see the practice. This is far different than arbitrarily flipping a coin we see they they were casting lots well they had prayed they'd reduced the the decision to a couple of people and then what seems to be pretty arbitrary on getting to that one choice they cast lots but you can't read the Old Testament without seeing how common it was. It was a common practice of determining the will of God was casting lots. 
It says in Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So understand with me, though, because I don't want you going out of here and say, uh, Pastor Steve says a good idea is to cast lots if you can't make a decision. <laughs> Flip a coin, roll the dice. That's not exactly what, that's not what I'm saying. Quite the contrary. This is the last occurrence we have in the Bible of casting lots. No further uh, mentioning of doing such. Why do you think that is? Because the Holy Spirit was about to come in Acts chapter 2. It would come upon believers. The Holy Spirit was going to come upon all those who, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ. He's given us the Holy Spirit of God. And what did Jesus pray in the higher intercessory prayer relative to the Holy Spirit? He's going to come and he's going to guide you in all truth. So now we have the Holy Spirit in, in our dispensation to guide us. But this is pre-Holy Spirit falling upon believers. And so we finally see not only the prayer and the practice, we see the person. The choice was Matthias. You know what his name means? Gift of God. So he would be God's gift to the apostles, to the early church, and really in preparation of all that was about to happen as the New Testament church would be birthed. So in conclusion, I want to give you four quick reminders of some criteria for considering regarding an upcoming decision that you're trying to make, perhaps. Number one, here's the question to ask. Is there anything about your choice that violates any way a biblical principle? If it does, rest assured it's not God's will. And it's not the best decision for you. But listen to me today. You have to be heart honest before God about your own motive. Because you know what I mean? If we go with the presupposition, we've already got our mind made up. We're just looking for God to endorse something, even if we know that it may not be the best choice. If that's our presupposition, we'll do it anyway. I'm just telling you, beware. Is there anything about your choice that violates a biblical principle? Secondly, will the decision take away in your life what's most important? Is it going to take you away from being able to live your life the way you know that God would prefer you to, 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 to be living your life? Will, will it take you away from your service to God? Will it steal your time away from your family? Will it do something to deflect what you know is best for your life and, and, and just so you can gain perhaps whatever you desired? Third thing, is my choice or is your choice about self-gratification or about self-promotion? Am I making this decision because there's still a selfishness that resides within my heart? Can I tell you, we all are in the same camp. We are selfish people unless we intentionally allow God to come to our life and not make us the way we're prone to be. How will this decision affect other people? Will this be a positive decision for your witness moving forward? Can God use this in your life, or will it take away from what should be most important? Fourthly, will this decision demonstrate that I really am a man or a woman of faith? Is this, does this require some faith in God on my part? 
You know, reason I say that because here's what I said in Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God wants to move us in faith. Who can argue we need to make right decisions? And these dilemmas we find ourselves in call for wisdom and insight, and deliberation should be made as we seek and pray persistently, as we get godly counsel, that we know that we're making the decisions that will be right, God-honoring decisions. You say, you know, I've done that before, and man, life didn't get any easier. Maybe it got a little harder. I'll tell you what, maybe that's where God needed you. You know, I'm not just saying you follow this pattern and everything will get easy because I don't know that. Sometimes it's God's will to take us to a hard place. And we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But when we're going with God, we'll fear no evil. For, thou, for we know thou art with us. So these are important things, making decisions. It's where it's going to take you. The decisions lead to our destiny. Are you making the, the, the decisions on a daily basis that prove indeed you belong to God? I think we could all agree on this. If we're a part of the family of God and the kingdom of God, the best decision I ever made was the day I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. When I humbled myself under the mighty hand of God and I repented of my sins and times of refreshing came from the Lord. And I'm telling you today, if you're unsure of where your heart is in your relationship with God, make a decision for Him today because I'm telling you, He's already calling you. The Holy Spirit of God is already working on you. And you're not initiating it. The reason you're willing to come is because He's initiating it. And He's drawing you through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Would you bow your heads with me today as we give a public invitation I know I'm speaking to a lot of people who are dealing with hard decisions, some relative to your own personal health, what you should do, and the decisions to go forward with various things that you find yourself dealing with in life. Others of you have been dealing with aging parents, and those are hard decisions. They're not easy decisions. I'm telling you, you need God in it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Some of you are trying to raise a family. Some of you have got some rebellious kids. And it continue, continually breaks your heart. You're trying to decide, how do I continue to be a good witness? And what's the line to walk? And I tell you, it, it's unique to who you are, the relationship you have. But why don't you depend upon God? Let Him help you. He'll get you through it. His will's always best. Today I'm asking you if you're not right with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you lived your life for God, for God at one point in time, but now you, you're in the far country. You never pray. You never consult the Lord. You, you're just going about life without God. Wouldn't this be the day for you to come forward and humble yourself? and enlist the prayers of God's people. It'll be our joy to pray with you and talk with you about being back in right fellowship with God. 
Listen, the Lord's hand's not so short he cannot save. His ear's so dull he cannot hear. But your sins have come between you and your God. And now he will not hear you. But he will hear you if you'll come in repentance and come back home to him. Never too late for a new beginning. Father, today I pray in all earnestness that your will would be done during this invitation time. I pray for those who are wrestling with heart issues. I pray, oh God, that you'd break through. Take them by the hand and guide them in the way everlasting. I pray for my own life. I pray for Mary and I as we seek to make right and prudent decisions. Even in these years, God, that you would guide us. Help us to not be hard-hearted or indifferent to what you want to do. Now, Lord, we just pray to the God who's able, who has this in his hands. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Stand to our feet. I'll be here at the front. Staff will be here at the front. If you'd like to come, make a decision. We'd love to pray with you. You come. While we sing, God calls. Come right now. church let's sing this acapella together let's sing it from our hearts this is the expression of really what i've preached today wherever he leads i'll go i'll be found faithful david lead us in this as we sing it together let's sing that chorus wherever he God bless you for being here today. We love you. Now get out of here.